Well, I hope you like the new Christmassy intro, kids. Welcome to episode 19 of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we scatter the mousetraps of comedy all over the living room carpet of literature. These metaphors are getting increasingly weird. I'm beginning to wonder if I may have to think of some other kind of intro for 2022. Anyway, my name is Jonathan Pinnock and I'm the author of the Mathematical Mystery series of comic thrillers published by Farago Books. Speaking of which, I'm currently 18,000 words into writing book five and after a bit of a wobble last weekend, it's just about back on track. Thank you for asking. My guest today is Karen Jones, author of the short story collection, The Upside Down Jesus, and the novella in Flash, When It's Not Called Making Love, which received a special commendation in the 2020 Bath Flash Fiction Novella in Flash Awards, and it was subsequently published by the excellent Ad Hoc Fiction. She is also the special features editor and social media director for the new Flash Fiction Review, and one of the editors of the National Flash Fiction Day Anthology. She's also an amazingly prolific short story competition entrant, shortlistee, and prize winner. Karen is also one of the few people I've interviewed in this podcast and I've actually met in person when she served me from behind the bar at the National Flash Fiction Festival in 2018. Welcome, Karen. Hello, Jonathan. Lovely to be here. It's nice to have you. So we'll be talking more about what Karen's up to at the moment and later on, but first we're going to look at the book that she's chosen to talk about, which is the Scottish writer Christopher Brookmeyer's fourth novel, One Fine Day in the Middle of the Night, published in 1999. I'll say before we begin that we did have some discussion about whether we should proceed with this one after we both read it, as there was some stuff in it that probably wouldn't appear in a novel published in 2021. Now, as it happens, this is not the first time this has happened in Lit Butt Pod. A few episodes ago, one of my guests, uh, I'm not, not saying who it was, uh, suggested a book by William Donaldson of Henry Root fame that we both realised had aged very badly indeed. <laughs> Even the title was pretty horrendous. And we quickly substituted something else. And such is the evolving nature of comedy. However, with this one, I, I felt there was enough of merit to talk about. And it, it's such a, it's really interesting to, to look into this, this business of, of how things change. Because we've done, there have been a few we've done which you could probably take a similar line of attack on. We, 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 we did, in discussing Lucky Jim, for instance, yeah. uh, look at the, the, the appalling portrayal of some of the women involved. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think it's probably about time to hand over to Karen. So, so Karen, why did you choose this one? And more importantly, why did you change your mind? Well... I chose this one. Um, I'm a huge fan of Brookmeyer. I haven't read him for a while. Uh, when I first read his books, it was all very much like this one. It's all it sort of come under comedy thriller, comedy crime tag. He changed, oh, just a few years ago, he changed to write straightforward thrillers. So I haven't read so much of those. My husband and I used to buy each other uh, birthday and Christmas gifts. And we always bought, ended up buying each other the exact same book or the exact same DVD, or the exact same CD. This went on, and eventually my husband said, right, what we need to do is we need to go into a bookshop, pick someone we've never seen before. So he did that with Brookmeyer, and it was a book called 
uh, a big boy did it and ran away. He chose it yeah. primarily because he loved the title, because it was funny. And he, he thought I would get a kick out of that as well. And I loved it. I really did. So then I went back and read right from the start of Drugmeyer's books. But one fine day in the middle of the night was the one that always just really, really stuck in my head. Um, on the face of it, it's about a school reunion. There's a guy called Gavin Hutchinson a non-entity at school, he's not bullied or anything, just pretty much unnoticed by everyone. But he's gone on to be a very successful guy uh, running holiday resorts, buying holiday resorts, making holiday resorts, and basically making everything British and getting rid of anything vaguely authentic, having realised that most British people just want sunshine without having to come into, into contact with anything actually foreign. So his latest venture in this book is to convert a decommissioned oil rig still in progress and moored off the coast of Scotland before being towed to sunnier climes into a five-star resort. He organises a school reunion on the rig, really so he can show off to everyone how successful and rich he is. But things don't go quite according to plan when the rig is attacked by mercenaries just before the guests are about to get to the buffet. So that's the basic um, <laughs> plot of the book. It's Great typical, but it is. It's, I mean, and, and I was so glad that I stuck with it. It's typical Brookmeyer. It's absolute mayhem, explosions, gore. Yeah. It's kind of like an action movie, but with Scottish patter and very dark humour. And that's what makes his book so funny. But yes, um, I hadn't read it since it came out which was what 1999 I think mm. and I hadn't read it since then and there were a few right at the start actually um, in the first maybe 30 pages I got a wee bit panicked there were a few <laughs> phrases that we just wouldn't use now and that he certainly mm. wouldn't use now either I mean, thankfully we've all or most of us have evolved and our language has evolved and there are a lot of words and phrases we don't use anymore but I did panic a wee bit and I thought my god is it going to be like this all the way through have mm. I forgotten this much <laughs> but it's not it's not like that mm. all the way through um, and I hope you enjoyed it as well I, mean, I did I, 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 to be honest I loved it I, 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 I think <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's there's some stuff that, yeah, you, as, as you say, things you wouldn't say now. But I, I, my sort of view of this sort of thing, I guess, is that if it could, the litmus test, it, it, could it be fixed by a, a judicious edit without too much, without sacrificing, you know, the whole plot of it? And I, and if if so, you can do that edit in, in your head as you read it, and you can say, yeah, okay, that. But that wouldn't be said now. But we can pass over that and move on. Yes. Yeah. And 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 I felt that was that was the, that was the case with this. And and I, I would certainly I certainly I, I really appreciate that being introduced to him because I sort of I'd, I'd seen his books and I'd never quite got round to reading any of them. And it it, it was I I I'm really glad to uh, to to have been introduced to him because I, oh, I'll good. certainly read some more. Excellent. I'm glad. Well, his very first one, Quite Ugly One Morning, was actually mm. dramatised. It was James Nesbitt that played yeah, the Yeah, I, I missed that altogether. Yeah, well, mm. it, it was all right. I mean, it's one of those things, the book's always better, and yeah, the book was definitely better. But that book and several of his other books are all based on the same character, a character called Jack Parlaby, who's a sort of investigative journalist. Um, mm. So it, uh, the, in all of his books... There'll be um, references to, to music. He loves his music. Football will mm. always appear at some point. Video games, films. 
lots of pop popular culture references. There's always social commentary as well and a bit of satire. And that's especially prevalent in the Parlabane books. People always, there'll always be something political in there that Parlabane's fighting against. So they're great from that point of view. He's got a lot of recurring characters in these books. And my one yeah, of Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realise that until, until I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. That, yeah, yeah, he's got loads. And the one in this book, and I have to say my favourite passages in one fine day in the middle of the night are Hector McGregor, the mm. the poor <laughs> the poor retired yeah because I, I, was, I wasn't sure about, about about him turning up in it and i, I, I realized now that he is a, a previous character so he's a previous yeah. character yeah. yeah uh but and i just his i have to say his bits are the bits that still to this day made my son come and say why are you laughing so much he could hear <laughs> me laughing when i got to Hector, poor hector mcgregor's first day of retirement <laughs> <laughs> which takes unfortunately coincides with all the terrible happenings on the yeah. the oil rig and, resort. And, and not to make too much of a spoiler, I suppose, but what, what the, when he gets knocked out by the, um, the, the oh the my god, body part. <laughs> that is the no, bit that, that I just I, mean, that, I that, held. That, yeah, I mean that struck me as someone who's read a lot of Tom Sharp. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Well, see, I used to read a lot of Tom Sharp. Yeah. So no, no, again, there's somebody who probably turned out to be problematic. If we. Uh, oh my goodness! Most of them would be problematic. Have to, we'll have to do Tom Sharp at some point. You're going to have to really choose which one to do. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of Tom Sharp. You wouldn't get away with it. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that 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 was wonderful. That bit. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so good. I see, a lot of his characters are recurring. Uh, but in this one, the, I think I think Hector McGregor's the only one in this one. I don't think any of the others had been in it before. Um, but having, although none of them had been in his books before, there's one in particular, one character that I'm fairly sure I know who it's based on, um, and that's uh, Davy Murdoch. Mm. Davy Murdoch is a character who basically was the school madman who just beat everybody yeah. up at school. But now he's a reformed character and an artist and, you mm. know, he's put his whole past behind him. And I don't know how familiar you would be with the man, the name Jimmy Boyle. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, okay. I, 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 I said, yeah. So I'm 99% sure that David Murdoch is based, albeit loosely, on Jimmy Boyle, for anyone listening who doesn't know he Jimmy does, Boyle does, was does a... Does he mention Jimmy Boyle but, in, in, in the book as, as an explicit reference? Does he, he probably does, because he does I, I, kind I of... I think because he, he, he references Barlini. It's the Barlini special unit, isn't it? That's right, that's right. He will have yeah. mentioned him. Yeah, so, yeah but I, I, th I think it, 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 it's quite explicit. <laughs> yeah, de definitely, because Jimmy Boyle was a... I actually met him once under oh. bizarre circumstances. I oh, was... Tell, tell me more. I was in a an unemployed theatre group. We were called On Your Bike. And I can't remember what play we were doing, but it was to do with, like, there was a sort of gangster and everything in it. And the director thought it would be great if he got Jimmy Boyle to come and talk to us so that we could meet an authentic gangster. You know, this is obviously reformed Jimmy Boyle. Yeah. So he came in and we had a bunch of teenagers and he came in and he's got the deadest eyes I've ever seen. He just <laughs> he sat and he started talking and he was telling us things he used to do and we didn't know how to react. So, no, he was talking about nailing people to a floor because this is what he did. If people didn't pay their debts on time, 
that was what he did. And he's telling us this, and we were all doing this sort of nervous laughter because we didn't know how to respond mm. to this sort of thing. You know, it was a very strange, don't, I'll never forget it. <laughs> Yeah, um, we were very glad he never came to see the show because we parodied, parodied him really, really well. <laughs> um, we had him in a nappy at one point, you know, so yeah, it was really good that he didn't come to see the show. Mm. But yeah, I'm David Murdoch, definitely, definitely, yeah. based on Jimmy Boyle. I, f- I feel kind of sorry for, for, for the guy that uh, he, he, he launched through the window. Oh, God, yeah. Because he, uh, he's, he's kind of used for, for a neat plot point and then never... Never turns up again. That's it. Deke, Deke is never in Deke the book Patterson. again. Yeah. yeah, he's never in the book again. Yeah, that's um, a bit harsh. But it's a wee bit harsh <laughs> to only be there to be thrown out of a window. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I was going to say that the the I mean a, a, a lot of a lot of the plot of this, especially with the mercenaries, it's a satire and machismo, isn't it? Oh yeah. And, and but he. You do get the slight feeling that uh, Brookmire wants to have it both ways, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and you can't blame him, I suppose. No, but, no, no. Yeah. I love some of the, I think one of the things that I love about him as well, I mean, it, it, obviously it's the Scottish thing that helps. It, mm. um, there aren't that many people from sort of my background and my class writing, so I, I can recognise a lot of it. By which I don't mean I've got an alter ego who runs about with a newsie. I don't mean that. <laughs> but things like I've got a wee quote that I love, and this I, this kind of sums up in a way a lot of the way Brookmire writes. Just a tiny quote, and it's about the school at Auchinleigh, where all the the adults are off to the reunion. That was their school was in a place called Auchinleigh, and it's just a wee a wee paragraph. St Michael's Roman Catholic Secondary sat in a promontory overlooking the town of Auchinleigh. Ock- the choice of site was an indirect consequence of a past mistake in vocational guidance, leading someone who had a pathological hatred of children into town planning rather than the more traditional field of teaching. And that is just so perfectly written. <laughs> so he's yeah. getting a wee dicks at things there, but he's getting in his brand of sarcasm, which is definitely his humour. You know, and I do I love those wee things. There's another point where he, he talks about he describes one one of the women as being so sour faced that if she bit into a lemon, the lemon would go. <laughs> and I just love these tiny things that he does. You know, just these. It's all it's hard humour. It's harsh humour. There's nothing gentle in any of it. Uh, but but I like that. That is probably quite true to my sense of humour as well. Yeah. And of course, he's got a he's got a character in the book. One of the main characters, Matt Black, who is a comedian. Uh, yes. who goes away to America, becomes a big shot, completely ruins his credibility by starring in a terrible sitcom. And that's, he is one of the mates. So, so he gets to be funny through him or sometimes mm. the opposite. Sometimes he uses Matt Black for the most more serious commentary in the book. And I quite like the way he's done that as well. Mm. And yeah, Matt Black ends up actually doing all those gruesome killings in the book accidentally, doesn't he? The one with the sander? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a sander after all. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah, know, was... you know what else was he to do? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that right. is something I think is, is brilliantly funny about it is the way all these people are dressed up for a school reunion and then towards the end half of them are carrying guns and Uzis and they're covered yeah. in blood and whatever and they're just ordinary people <laughs> they're just mm. ordinary folk none of whom quite often unfortunately you discover none of them have ever held a gun before and it can go quite wrong but yeah and I love all that about it I love that sort of action movie side of it that it's not okay the mercenaries are semi-professional but nobody else has other than mm. Mr Vale the security man nobody else has ever held a gun before whereas yeah. in action movies there's always a policeman there there's always somebody there and while we do end up with Hector McGregor who is a policeman later on most of the people are just new to all of this so the yeah. handling of it is partly what's funny as well yeah I mean it's almost like that I mean, I think he does actually reference Die Hard at one point, but it, it, okay. I, I, before he did that, I was thinking this, this is basically Die Hard with... With uh, normal people. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he does, he references a lot of... I mean, him, uh, Ali McQuaid, another one of the characters who... Ali's a... He's an electrician, which comes in handy mm. at one point because he has to crawl through a ventilation shaft. And he's yeah. okay with that because he's used to tiny spaces. Mm. But he's also famous for having a very weak stomach and is mm. inclined to vomit frequently. <laughs> and at one point, once he's crawled through the ventilation shaft, shaft does so on a mercenary's head, which is another one of the funniest, funniest bits in the book. But Ali and the school teacher who's gate crashed it, Mrs. Lawrence, they mm. have a huge conversation about action movies. So yes. they're kind of setting you up, you know, they're setting you yeah. up for everything that's going to come. Yeah. Uh, and Mrs. Lawrence, what I loved about her as well, that she can still make people obey just by the tone of her voice, the way she yes. tells people to go, to go in pairs and they automatically do it. <laughs> but in this, you know, they could be shot by mercenaries at any minute, but just the minute yeah. this woman says, walk slowly, no running, they'll go, okay, and just, that's fine, we'll do that. Again, just yeah, another she, one of those nice wee touches. Yeah, yeah she's she's a nice character. I, I, she's I, I, great. She's great. Yeah. Again, not in it often, but but when she is yeah. in it, um, what she does is always great. And uh, Matt yeah. Black, another wee bit. And you know, funnily enough, this was the thing that took me back to this book. There's one bit in it that I have laughed occasionally over 20 years when it comes into my head, and yeah. it's when Matt Black, before they actually go out to the rig. He's on his own and he goes back to the old school and just has a wander round um, the yard on his own. And he starts imagining that there would be, there should be plaques put up all over the place for things that happen. And the majority of the plaques are to do with Davy Murdoch having battered somebody there. But there's one, and I'm trying to find it and I'll read it because it's better if I say it properly. Oh, yes. Eddie Milton knocked himself unconscious against this pillar playing tick, winter 1979. He remains still hooked to this day. <laughs> and I love that idea that this wee boy, well, you know, he never caught MD and he never got caught and he's still it. He's still it all these years <laughs> later, purely because he was unconscious. Yeah, that's wonderful. The school day stuff is great. And every, yeah. I, everyone's memories of each other and how mm. different they are. And I like that as well, because that is true. You know, when you mm. go back, I met a girl that I'd been at school with and I hadn't seen her for about 20 years. And she introduced me to her husband as, this is Karen. She was in the popular crowd. Now, 
for one thing, I didn't know we had a popular crowd. <laughs> and I certainly didn't know I was in it. So yeah. it was so strange. But that's what happens in this book. Everybody's got these memories of each other that some of them are completely accurate, but others just don't gel with mm. how the people see themselves or how they remember the incidents. Yeah. And, and that obviously some... leads to all sorts of plot points as well. Yeah. <laughs> And, and some people stay the same and some people completely reinvent themselves. Yes. And, and that's yeah. obviously why Gavin Hutchinson has done the whole thing. Yeah. He wants to mm. be the bigger man, but doesn't realise that his wife has invited Matt Black, who has also mm. been, and he doesn't like Matt at all. He doesn't like somebody else stealing the limelight. He's a mm. thoroughly reprehensible character, Hutchinson. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he really is awful. Awful, yeah. awful man. Mm. No sympathy for him whatsoever. And it, it, it's nice the way that uh, the the motivation for for the attack is slowly revealed, <laughs> and the, the three three different alternatives, aren't there? That, uh -huh, think, uh -huh. that yeah, there's and, nice uh, twists. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it reminded me a bit of if you're I think by Colin Bateman. No, I haven't. Uh, Divorcing Jack. No, uh, it's Northern Irish uh, writer. You know, and about four of, people have told me. Sorry. About four people have told me to read them that I would like them. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm slowly working my way through it. I've read the first two. The, the, the second one wasn't quite so good. The, the first, Divorcing Jack's great fun. Um, I'll do, I need to give them a try. I see lots of people have said to me, if you like yeah. Brick Man, you'll like them. Yeah. James Hawes, maybe a bit. White Burton no. with Fins. No. Sort of a heist movie. I, I didn't, didn't care for a second novel, but the first, first one was fun. Yeah, but there's, there's, there's definite Tom Sharp going on there as well. Yeah. So he, uh, he Meyer himself credits um, his favourite sort of comedy writing as being The Hitchhiker's Guide. That's, that's mm. his, yeah. He, that's, he that's loves that. Yeah. Because yeah. he actually, he does actually mention Arthur Dent and Trillian at one point. Yeah. Which was, yeah. I, I thought that was, yeah, I, I, I saw that coming up. But that's a bit of a hard reference to make, but okay, if that, if that yeah, if that's that's interesting. <laughs> and yeah, he does share sort of... he does share an, an Adams sort of a style. Mm. His writing style is I yeah. think quite close to Adams. Obviously, not what he writes about, but mm. that very sort of overly sort of everything seems really plain and normal, but there's actual insanity going on. Yes, <laughs> it's got that. It's just got that, you know, yeah. that writing style about it. I mean, that we quote read earlier would have fitted yeah. into an Adams book. It's just that sort of very matter-of-fact way mm. of saying things that are just not right. <laughs> you know, yeah. really I mean, that whole part yeah. we were talking about with Hector McGregor and the getting hit with the body part, I mean, that's all done so matter-of-factly. And there's another, there's a tiny bit there that I've, I've just found it. Um, so there's been the explosion Hector McGregor's been hit by the body part and he says the building on the left was missing the best part of one wall and there were bricks scattered in a wide area around it cows stood nearby looking uniformly unimpressed presumably they'd all seen much better explosions tons of times that <laughs> I just love the idea all these cows that are going oh well there's yeah. another explosion it's yeah. fine yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I'm really glad you suggested that one because uh, uh, it was good fun. I'm glad you ended up enjoying it. I should 
probably go back to the beginning and start and start reading from the um, quite ugly one morning. Yeah, my, I think my other favourite, apart from this one, is the sacred art of stealing. I, I was mm. really torn between those two, and the sacred art of stealing is really hilarious. <laughs> it's all mm. set in a bank robbery. It's another hostage situation. There's there's frequently hostage situations. Yeah, yeah. I shall I shall look out for that one. That's Good. Great. So, shall we move on to talking about uh, you and your work? So, okay. you are a stupendously successful short story writer and have been for quite some time now. So, presumably, you've got loads of literary agents snapping at your heels. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm that's saying that with that slightly tongue-in-cheek because I know how these <laughs> things work. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely how that works. Once you've got your three novels, then you're allowed to have a short story collection, aren't you? Yeah. You've yeah. got to have your three novels first or they won't touch you. Yeah. And even then, your short story collection is only to be a filler while you're working on your next novel. Mm. Um, but I have written two really, really shockingly bad novels um, a long, long time ago. Mm. And I just, I, I think that's why I love the novella and flash genre so much because I can tell a full story but I don't have to <laughs> I don't have to make it that long I can I can do it a lot lot shorter yeah I, I actually I think I write way more flash now than short stories now mm. I probably only write about two or three short stories a year now whereas in the past it would maybe I was never prolific I mean I'm saying that I would maybe on a good year do six short stories because I spend a long long time over them I'm not I'm not prolific and I'm kind of the same with Flash. I'm not terribly prolific with Flash either. I, I go through phases of writing like crazy and then nothing. So, but yeah, I think I probably, probably do write, I, I'm saying probably, no, I definitely do write more Flash now. But I'm trying to get back to short stories. I'm trying, I always enter, there are certain competitions for short stories that I enter every year, no matter what. And one of them's Bath. One of them's mm. Bristol. Never get anywhere but Bristol ever. And the Mogford Prize. Always enter Mogford. Oh, and to Hullenbach. That's mm. I, I'm hugely, hugely lucky with to Hullenbach. I've been in the past four anthologies, which is great. Wow. So it's it's nice to do that. But that gives me the chance to write funny as well. And there's so few chances for that. So well, few opportunities. So I, I, I'm going to ask you the, the where do you get your ideas question, but I'll, I'll try to sound a bit more knowledgeable about the way I <laughs> so, so. do it. Do you use prompts or do you sit down with an idea and see where it goes? Or do you start with a character or do you, or how, how, how do you? It, it varies. Um, for short yeah. stories, I tend, I, what tends to happen is a, an opening line will pop into my head, very closely followed by an end line. And then I've got to work okay. out how to get from the start to the finish. I, yeah, they rarely okay. they rarely change the opening line and end line rarely change in the edits, and what then usually happens is I'll get a character, because mm. I do write very character driven work. Mm, that is yeah. very much what I do. Um, but once I've got the character and once I've got the opening line and once I've got the end line, that's fine. Off I go. With flash, I'm more inclined uh, to respond to prompts, and I do like visual prompts. I used to spend a lot of time in. Uh, Kelvin Grove Art Galleries in Glasgow, just mm. wandering around and writing about the paintings. Apparently, that's called it frastic. I've only just discovered this term. I've been oh, doing Jesus, it for years. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't know I was doing something <laughs> that, was, that was actually a thing that had a name. But I do like that. I do like uh, working to visual prompts more so than I will if somebody gives me a, a, 
a word prompt. Not that I won't do that, I will. Mm. I'm not one of those people who can go to a workshop and generate a story on the day. Um, I, mm. that doesn't, I'll generate lots of ideas. I'll generate lots of lines. But, you know, I attend workshops and you get to the end and the tutor will say, would anybody like to read something out? And somebody will get up and read something that would take me six weeks <laughs> to get that perfect, you know. But that's not me. I don't write like that. That's interesting. So are you, are you in any sort of uh, writer's circles or online groups or anything like that? Or do you work alone? I was in a brilliant group for years. I was in a, a, a website called Get Writing that was run by the BBC. Hmm. And it closed down and another one came up, somebody who'd been in that group called More Writing. And I was in a few groups in there, one of which hmm. uh, about six of us kept going up until really quite recently, we, we still get together <laughs> once a year and go to a cottage in Yorkshire and we do all work together then. But yeah. everybody's kind of gone and done other things. Um, there's only two of us that are still sort of writing constantly. And one I of them is now a ghostwriter as well. So she's got her business. She's busy. All right. So, yeah. I, th I think a lot of those sort of online forums, I, I used to be in Sling Inc and what was the other one, The Right Idea? Mm, yeah. Cafe Doom was a good one. I used to be in that one. And and I think a lot of those had a sort of social element that got subsumed by Facebook. Yeah, definitely. They become definitely. less of a reason to go to the forum to for other things. I think that's but exactly that's, what happened. I think yeah. a lot of those writing sites closed down because mm. social media took over from that point yeah, of view. It's, it's a shame. shame. It is yeah. a shame because they were great. I mean, the, the group I was in, they were we there was no holds barred you know we absolutely mm. took a story and ripped it apart but that was fine you just had to leave your ego at the door and say this is about yeah. the story it's not about me yeah. and that's what we did and it was great and I do miss it I do I've got some mm. friends in the flash fiction world who I know I can say going to have a quick look at this before I submit it and I'll do that mm. for them as well uh, but nothing sort of official nothing nothing set no groups anymore which I do miss. Mm. So how to tell you a bit about novellas in Flash. Uh, how, how does that work? Because uh, it's, it's a very recent thing. I, yeah, I, or, yeah. Although I guess it sort of goes back to Richard Brautigan, but then he was sort of unique and it never really sort of broadened out into anything until recently, has it? So it's, It is really quite recent. It's it has a lot of constraints. That I wonder why we put these constraints on ourselves. Basically, the idea is that you tell the story in a series of flashes. No, mm. So the, the flashes essentially are chapters. Uh, no one chapter exceeds a thousand words, which is fine. That's what a flash is. Uh, but another constraint that we put on ourselves is that each chapter should be able to stand alone. Mm. If, if you took one out, it should stand alone as a flash. You wouldn't ask an author to do that with a novel. <laughs> you wouldn't say, you know, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't say I should be able to take any of these chapters out and it should mm. just be a short story in its own right. So I'm not sure why we've put that particular constraint on ourselves. It, it makes life more difficult when you're writing it. It certainly works when you're reading. Constraints do, do drive creativity, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I've read, I read when it's not called Making Love and, and it, it's very, very effective. The, the, the way that yeah, you know, each, each each individual chapters it, it's just it's a snapshot. Yeah. As you say, but but 
it, it does stand its, its own merits, but then you, you yeah. fit it all together and it makes a whole sort of sequence of, of, of events that make up a story. That's right. I mean, you do get a story arc, which they have to have. They have mm. to have a story arc. Yeah. They've, got to, they've got to follow that rule, which is fine. What I liked about it in particular was I, that wasn't the novella in Flash I had intended to send to ad hoc. The, the one I had intended mm. to send, there was no way I was <clears> going to finish it in time. So with about 10 days to go, I realised that I had about three flashes already that could all be attributed to this one girl, Bernadette. Mm. So then I just wrote like mad <laughs> for <laughs> nine days solid. Uh, and then sent it to a couple of friends and said, am I mad? Is this a novella? Is this even a novella in Flash? And is it any good? And they come back with some suggestions, which are very, very quickly <laughs> fixed the things that they'd said that weren't quite working and just sent it off and hope for the best. But what I liked about it then was being able to take that character. And whereas in a Flash, she would just live in that one Flash and that would be it, or in two mm. or three Flashes. So it was nice to be able to take her and take her story further and explore the char character more. And give her, give her an ending, not necessarily the happiest ending in the world, but to give her an ending at least, or an ending for the moment, because yeah. I have kind of gone back and I'm thinking about taking uh, Bernadette and the other main character, Jenny, right. and maybe going further into the later life. Mm. Possibly, possibly, we'll see. Mm. But I've read some great novellas in Flash, some absolutely amazing ones. Tracy Slaughter's If There Is No Shelter. It's just oh, incredible. Oh, my goodness, what a book. I was literally <laughs> stopping and rereading sentences, going, oh, my God, how does she do that? This is this writing is just wonderful. Uh, I just thought oh, she's, she's a great writer. Mm. So, I, yeah, I would highly recommend yeah. that book. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think there's so much so much coming out in that area, isn't there? Oh, it's, it's endlessly, it's sort of, yeah. it, it, is, it is bubbling under the surface, though, isn't it? That, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then... Sophie, Sophie Van Leeuwen, her, her novella in Flash. Oh, yes. It, it was put forward for the, the Women's Prize. Yeah. So, You're yeah. Right. Forgotten about that. So it, yep. so, it is, okay. it is it, 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 bottled, bottled goods. Yeah, bottled yeah. goods, that mm. was called. So, it is, it is, mine is obviously on the very, very short side of, of novella, about as short as you'd dare to go, really, with a novella in a Flash. But you can go up to about 20,000 words with it. Mm. Which, so you're getting close to proper novella, I say proper, you know what I mean, yeah. traditional novella length when you do that. So I think it will continue to to gain ground. I think I think people are beginning mm. to enjoy them now, which is good. Mm. So do you have any plans to go back to writing a novel again? I kind of, funnily enough, after I had written When It's Not Called Making Love, a couple of people read it and said, you know, this would have made a really good novel. <laughs> if you, I kind of thought, a bit of me is tempted just to take that novella and say, OK, can I flesh everything out? All the things that in Flash you deliberately leave out. Could I take that and could I go into more of their lives and more of the backgrounds? And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I think that would maybe be how I would get back into trying another novel, would be to do something like that. The first novel I tried, I knew nothing. I mean, I mean, literally nothing about writing and, oh, my goodness, it shows. The second one, I think I was maybe just trying to be Christopher Brookmeyer. <laughs> <laughs> He's already Christopher Brookmeyer, you know. <laughs> yeah. We don't need me doing that as well. So I think, it, I think now I know more about the kind of things I write about and more about the themes that I write about. I, I think if I did tackle it again, I'd have better luck with it. <laughs> 
<laughs> because mm. now I've, I've got a much clearer idea of the kind of things that I like to write about or automatically write about. Mm. Yeah. And also the fact that you've, you know, you have, because you, you self-published The Upside Down Jesus, didn't you? And, yeah. And so you've got two books there that, that you can sort of look at and say, right, I've, I've done enough words to fill two books, therefore tackling a novel is not intimidating. No, 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 it's not. I think I'm, I'm very much, I think it's something everybody, and obviously you will know better than me, but it's that middle part of the novel. You know, you start off fine <laughs> and you know where your ending is going to be, but it's that bit in the middle that you try not to make too soggy because the soggy middle is the thing that kills a lot of, especially first novels I've, I've found. When I'm reading somebody's first book, I quite often get to the middle and go, oh, okay. Um, and I think, I think that's what terrifies me. Is that I'll get to that bit and go right? I'm not even going to reach the end because I've reached the soggy middle and I'm, I'm losing the will now, you know. But you know, I, I probably will at some point go for it again. At the moment, I'm I'm working more on doing another novella in a flash, and I'll mm. see how things go after that. Mm. I think my solution to to, to to that problem is to um, not actually have any idea what the end is going to be. Oh, really? <laughs> so you just constantly. Uh, throwing stuff down and hoping it leads somewhere. You're constantly uh, surprising yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it probably shows. <laughs> so what what what's what uh, have you ever what about poetry? You uh you ever a long I'm sure, time I'm, I'm sure I've seen you done some poetry. You published one for me on um Oh god I did. Yeah. Yeah did. when I was publishing spilling cocoa. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I I did it a while, a long, long time. Again, it was when I was in one of the writing websites. And there are always more poets than prose writers. Whatever site you're on, the poetry part of it is always absolutely chock-a-block. And I was reading poetry on that site. And I loved poetry at school, you know. It's not that I never let, and I've got loads of poetry books in the house, and I attend regular spoken words nights in Glasgow, mainly poetry. So one day I did try and I, I wrote three and they all got published on Everyday Poets. Mm. But then oh, I decided yeah. well, I can't do this anymore. I find it, <laughs> I get too obsessed. I got, I'll spend a week moving a comma and then moving it back again. <laughs> and mm. it just, it wasn't good for my health, <laughs> poetry. I really did get too obsessed with it. I think that's why Flash, that's why I like Flash. I did like poetry, but I think Flash suits me better than poetry. Hmm. I mean, it, you've got the same, well, not, not exactly the same constraints of, of, of length, have you? But you, you still have got, every word has to count though, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you've still got to think about rhythm and you've still got to think about, yeah. as you say, every word counting. I, I just There are a lot of similarities. Uh, and there's this constant discussion goes on about what, what is prose poetry? Why is it different to Flash? You know? Yeah. And everybody's got a different answer to that. Um, I think it's quite simple. I think that in, in a prose poem, nothing really has to happen. <laughs> you know, it can just, it can that's, be about that's a thing. The of a literary novel, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So in a prose poem, it can just be about, it can be about a feeling. It can be, it can be like a vignette. It can be about nature. It can, you know, it doesn't have to have a plot. It doesn't have to have something driving it forward. Mm. Whereas a flash fiction does. It has to be a story. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, that, that's, that, that's reasonable. Uh distinction yeah yeah so you're you're working on another 
novella and flash and you work presumably doing other flashes as they strike you yes what, what, and, uh, what, what's, what's your ultimate ambition what are you oh, aiming at oh i don't know <laughs> um, where do you see yourself in five years time no, no, it, oh it's, god oh in five years time what, hopefully what, get, hopefully getting my pension <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, this is the odd thing because I, I've been a, a full-time carer for my mother for 30 years. So mm. I've always been writing and among doing that. But nice. earlier this year, unfortunately, she had to go into a care home. Mm. So I'm finding everything just a bit, <laughs> a bit odd now. I feel as though I should be doing things now. I should be taking everything more seriously now because I've not got these other external things that I'm having to deal with every hour of the day. It hasn't quite worked, hasn't quite worked out that way. Um, I seem to be doing more and more things like uh, taking on editing roles. I'm doing more things like that, and I'm I'm the judge for the next Bath Flash Fiction Award as well. I, I seem I, I, I seem I seem to as though they've just landed on me. I'm getting invited to do more things like that, which is lovely, and I am doing them. That's great. But I, I I can't take on any more because I don't know how. I would have time to write at all. But yeah, I, I think probably I'd like to get another two or three novellas in Flash under my belt. I've also been asked to teach a few workshops online, which has been nice. I don't know I would want to go too far into that either. I, I kind of like just not knowing exactly what I'm aiming for. I think if I gave myself a goal, I'm really, really hopeless with goals like that. They prey on my mind and I end up doing nothing. Uh, if I write myself a to-do list, it's the worst thing I could possibly do because I'll just go to bed that night and I'll panic about not having done that to-do list or I'll panic about one for tomorrow. I'm kind of better just to let to sort of potter about and get whatever I end up by accident. <laughs> I think that's that. So yeah. I'll accidentally end up somewhere. If I give myself a goal, I'll just worry about it. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's one way of approaching it. <laughs> <laughs> I find that if I try and let some of that happen back, so it just doesn't, and I find something else to do altogether. And, and um, I, I absolutely need deadlines to force me to actually do something. Oh yes, and, definitely. Uh, if I didn't have, if I didn't enter as many competitions as I do, yeah, I don't know what I would write or how often I would write or whatever. I do need focus like that. I definitely do. Mm. A deadline's great. I, I do love a deadline, but but not a a sort of an ultimate goal I think would just frighten me yeah tell me about some of the judging you've done then what what what, what do you like to see and what what do you not like to see coming into you what I it's, it's always easier to say what you don't want because what you don't want uh, yeah. are, are things that you frequently get unfortunately mm. what we don't want is people who haven't read the guidelines so for example at New Flash Fiction Review if we say we or or any zine that you go to um, submit to if they say they don't take genre fiction believe them they're not saying that so that you can go, well, you know, I know they're saying that, but they've maybe not had a, a cowboy story this month. And they'd maybe like, you know, <laughs> yeah, if we say we don't want, if the people say they don't want genre fiction, just find somewhere that does. Don't just throw something somewhere that they don't want it. Most, everything I've judged and everywhere I've read for, I've read for TSS for short stories as well, mm. and various things like that. We get a lot of stories about cancer, a lot of stories about Alzheimer's and dementia, yep. an enormous amount of stories about dead children. It's a nightmare. That's yes. the most the dead baby thing. Who is it? Was, oh. um, yes, uh, Katie Darby, Elias League. She was talking about the dead baby thing. Oh, 
And it's just, I, I understand why people write these stories. Obviously, they are very important and everybody will have experience of someone about, will either have had cancer or know someone who yeah, has, yeah. will either know, have a family member or someone who's got Alzheimer's, will either have had the terrible tragedy of having a child died or know someone who has. They're all hugely important stories. Yeah. But the problem is that because everybody has got somebody that this has happened to or it's mm. happened to them, everybody can write it. And if you're going to send, just again, for example, an Alzheimer's story, and there's another 50 Alzheimer's stories in the queue, then it's hard, hard going for the for the reader. But it also means that your Alzheimer's story has to some, somehow be completely different from all the other Alzheimer's stories. Now, that can happen. You can, I mean, we have published but, stories. But there, there are some that are really good ones. But of course. I mean, I've read a few. But there'll be some that, some that yeah. uh, will just come come at it from a completely different angle and really quite surprise you. And we have, I say, we have published them. It's not that we don't publish them. It's more of a warning of how many others you're going to be up against on the same theme. Mm. So going away from that to say what I want to see then, it's what I want to see are things that I've never seen before. How easy is that? Just show me something I've never seen before. But looking at that, if you've got some sort of really interesting hobby or if you've had a really interesting job or if you've travelled the world or whatever, if there's just something that you're maybe expert in that you can somehow get into a story. So that at the same time as reading your story, I'm learning about something I've never <laughs> learned about yeah. before. And I'm reading a take on a story that I've never read before. Things like Jude Higgins writes a lot of stories based on nursery rhymes or mm. uh, fairy tales, rather, and nursery rhymes, actually, yeah. But she just takes them and twists them into something completely different and can completely wild. <laughs> She's got quite yeah. an imagination, Jude, you know. Mm -hmm. So things like that, if you can do something like that, if you can take something that is already existing, that is everybody knows about, but then make it completely different, yeah. you're going to jump out in the queue. And titles, great titles as well, will jump out. The Smoke Long Comedy Prize uh, long list went up yesterday, and I'm very fortunate to be on that. Oh, yes, yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. But the titles yeah. of the stories on it, I was just howling and laughing at the titles <laughs> before I've even read any of the stories. So, yeah, mm. titles are important to make you stand out in a queue as well. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, as, as a judge, I, I, I know when, I, when I've, I've done it, you, you are... Basically, you're looking. For, I try to be not to be too cynical here, but you're looking for, for you're looking for an easy life, and you want to. You're almost looking for ways to dismiss a story so that you can concentrate on the ones that you really want. Absolutely. And, and you really want to make it as easy for the judge to accept your story and not make it <laughs> make it hard for them to <laughs> to uh, dismiss it. Definitely. I remember, um, I don't know if you were there, I know you were at that festival that Paul McVeigh did his mm. uh, first page workshop mm. and he talked about how important the opening page in a novel is. And he said, but mm. it's not just in a novel, it's in a, a short story. So he yeah. said, if I'm judging something and I've got a pile of short stories yeah. and the first page doesn't grab me, I don't read on. No. He said, well, that's, that's right. it. That's no point. He said, well, if the first page doesn't grab me, then I'm not wasting my time for the next mm. 17 pages. And in flash fiction, obviously, you've only maybe got a thousand words. It's really a crime to bore somebody yes. <laughs> in the first paragraph. <laughs> you know, 
it's really it's a shocking mm. thing to do. Don't do that. And even mm. more so in a microfiction, if you manage to bore somebody in a microfiction, you've really you've really, really is. <laughs> so yeah, just that, so that is something to bear in mind is that we've got a lot of things to read. If I've got six hundred stories to read, mm. interest me in the first paragraph, please. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or I mean the the, the there's a sort of standard thing, isn't it, to uh, just delete the first sentence. Of, of whatever you've written, <laughs> the first paragraph, whatever you're in, the first dive straight into yeah. the action. Yeah. Oh, frequently with flashes, my first paragraph it ends up in my second paragraph. <laughs> I do that all the time. I, I switch the paragraphs and think, no, okay, I still need the first paragraph, but not there. I need it to be in the second paragraph. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming along. It's been really interesting. Thank and you. Thank you very much for it. introducing me to Christopher Brookmeyer. So oh, I'm so glad. I do, I do love getting people into Brookmine. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Right, this place is intended to be free from adverts, as if anyone would pay to advertise here anyway. But if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to reward us by buying our books. Oh, I should ask, actually, I should ask you where people can find uh, copies of When It's Not Called Making Love. Hey, it's anywhere, really. You get it at Amazon, you get it online at Waterstones, you get it online mm -hmm. at ad hoc fiction obviously so yeah it's it's widely available okay right thanks karen is on twitter as car john that's k-a-r-j-o-n i'm on twitter as john pinnock and my website is at jonathanpinnock.com this podcast now is its own twitter account as litbutpod and dms are open or email me on litbutpod at gmail.com do please rate review and subscribe so that other people can find out about all the fascinating stuff here You'll find this podcast all the usual places. We are going to have a short break for the Winterville holiday season, but we'll be back in 2022 with a whole slew of exciting new guests. See you then. After editing this episode, I realised that I'd completely forgotten to ask Karen if she'd ever seen one of my favourite bad 80s films, North Sea Hijack because I'm pretty convinced that a film buff like Christopher Brookmar must also have seen it. In fact, thinking about the chronology, it probably got shown on TV for the first time when he was in his early teens, an absolutely crucial time to absorb influences. If you haven't seen it, it stars Roger Moore at the height of his Bond fame, trying to extend his range by playing an eccentric ex-Special Forces counter-terrorism consultant called Rufus Excalibur for folks, who loves cats and relaxes by doing petty pie embroidery. Folks is brought in by Lloyds of London to recapture an oil rig that's been taken over by a bunch of terrorists led by none other than Psycho's Anthony Perkins. It also stars James Mason, playing, well, basically James Mason. Anyway, the whole thing's on YouTube, and I thoroughly recommend watching it. And as a special Christmas treat, it turns out that I happen to have a recording of the original advert for the film as played on the Kenny Everett show on Capital Radio in 1980. Honestly, if this doesn't whet your appetite, nothing will. Have a listen. I should perhaps add that one fine day in the middle of the night is much, much better than this. What's happening? He's dead. Roger Moore in North Sea Hijack. Roger Moore as the government's unorthodox expert in North Sea Hijack. When the next 12 hours could cost you £1,000 million, you need a man who lives second by second. In the West End now and all over London from Sunday, Certificate A.